Hello and welcome back to Technically Speaking, a NatWest podcast exploring the issues that we are seeing in the rapidly evolving world of tech. I'm one of your hosts, Wincy Wong. And I'm Borja Karabok. So today we're going to explore the topic of tech education. So earlier this year, Andreas Schleicher, Director of Education and Skills at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD for short, said that teaching kids to code is a waste of time, which is quite shocking. And I guess the argument he was making is that it's a very specific skill set that won't necessarily be relevant in a few years' time. Schleicher says that there are other tech skills we should be focusing on teaching, like computational thinking, which is essentially a way to analyse the world around you. It seems as though he's promoting abstract thinking over knowledge. And what I mean by that is that these specific coding skills may eventually be absorbed by general artificial intelligence functions anyway, like self-writing programs. It seems very futuristic, of course, but um, I guess there is something to be said for do we need to know the basics at all going forward. So there has been pushback on this logic, as you might imagine. And I've also read commentary on how teaching kids to code is going to be a necessary basic skill, especially given the prevalence of tech in all industries. So what's interesting also is that a lot of governments and organisations now are investing in growing technical skills like coding among the younger generations. The UK government, for example, is investing millions in this kind of skill building. Now, I actually spend a lot of my time on tech education. I am a founding member, along with 17 other women in tech, of an organization called the Tech She Can Charter. And we believe that in order to attract the next generation into careers in tech, we've got to teach them about how tech is used. And the focus has to be other aspects of tech instead of just coding. And in the last 18 months, we now have over 120 signatories. These are corporates and companies all around the UK who also believe in what we're doing. So it's clearly something that's really important to a lot of people, not just because of tech you can, but also based on a lot of um, literature that we're seeing being published at the moment. So all of this got us thinking about the value of teaching coding skills to the youth today. Will it be useful for their future job security? It's clearly a desired skill, but today we're going to explore if it's a useful one. To help us with this, for our first guest, we have Mujde Esin. Mujde is a very interesting woman from Turkey, like me. She spent much of her career going into underprivileged communities in her home country and abroad to teach young girls to code. Her organization is called Kuzcode, which in Turkish means girl code. And she sees coding as a skill that can elevate a child's future potential. Mujde, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes. My name is Müjde Esin. I am the founder of Kuzcode. 
I'm from Turkey. I was born in Eastern Turkey in a very small village. I first got opportunity to come to the UK thanks to two wonderful women who sponsored me and support me to be here. Tell me more about these women who sponsored you. Well, uh, fair enough. I mean, it is really uh, interesting that I still don't know their name um, because they don't want to be in public. They just want to stay anonymous, completely get that in uh, Turkey. I can imagine that a lot of people would uh, go against them and what they're trying to do for these young girls that, you know, their parents don't even want leaving the nest, so to speak. I just know that their background is, is also coming from very vulnerable background. So yes, it was very difficult for me to get an opportunity and uh, to get my education because traditionally girls usually are not allowed to go to, uh, allowed to pursue further education beyond the primary basic level. And what effect did that have on you? Um, it, it was tough. It was really tough to, um, to just ask your right of education, really. Um, but I am really appreciate some of our neighbors. They were telling my family that you know she is doing something good. Let them to go to school. Um, but it was really difficult for me. Um, I met some computer science students at the university when I started, uh, and they helped me learn JavaScript. That's how I learned to how to code. So that's really interesting because uh, that leads us into Cuscode. Why did you start Cuscode? In Turkey, uh, girls in my region face obstacles to go to the schools and, and face issues such as domestic violence. Child marriage is also very common in many, many societies. Um, Kuskot is a social enterprise. I created Kuskot in 2015 uh, when I was doing my master's degree in, in London. Kuskot aims to empower girls and young women in ethnic um, minority and disadvantaged communities using digital education technologies. Um, and our workshops reach out also villages, um, even even though they some of them they don't have electricity. Um, we adopt the curriculum for the for these uh, circumstances. Can you tell us a bit about some of the harder circumstances in which you've run some of these uh, classes? Uh, so uh, my outreach work began in in different stages. Uh, first, uh, during my university studies, I started collaborating with other students at, in the university and bring to all the all the students to create a platform to bring study support to families who uh, had language and literacy issues. Many parents couldn't communicate with the, with the school teachers because of the you know, language barriers. Um, By language barriers, we're talking about... Um, Kurdish people. Yeah, yeah, Kurdish absolutely. people who couldn't communicate with the school teachers. And because of this issue, many girls stopped going to schools. Um, so we were trying to uh, being between, you know, bridge between the families and schools. So you started your outreach at university and you started to learn JavaScript. What happened next? Um, so I realized that coding gave me the confidence to broaden my horizon. And I start using this similar digital education technology to other girls. Why? Were they interested? Or did you just believe in it so much that you felt they should know? Well, it really empowered me and I definitely want to bring the same similar uh, background and similar interests to other girls who really interested in. And I, I definitely believe it's going to change some of them. Um, and I just start from my community, some of the girls. And then after that, I uh, using the similar 
education system when I was working with refugee camp in Turkey, Syrian refugee camps. So these were refugee camps in Turkey for Syrian refugees? Yes, yes, it is. Um, so it, it was really a troubled time because it was the beginning of the war start. And, you know, especially girls and women, they were having mental issues, especially, you know, many of them, they lost their own families. Um, so I was uh, bringing um, the similar education system to see how it will be empower them. So how did that come about? Yeah, um, some of the charities, they heard about what I'm doing for my community and that's how they reached me to... Uh, to work with Refugee Council and they want me to, to examine how to help them to integrate in, into UK society, in Turkey, in Turkey society. So, so that's really interesting. So refugee camps are, are filled with all these people who are displaced from their homes and they need some basic human rights like shelter, food, clothing. Where did the idea of digital and tech and coding education come into it? Within the refugee camp, we experience, unfortunately, lots of trouble, especially child marriage, because uh, Syrian refugees, they, um, they find freedom when they let the girls be married. What, to escape? Yeah, so it was, a, yes. it was a method of escaping their yes. situation, yeah. the nightmare in which they were in. So where does education come into this? And specifically, where does coding education come into a situation like this where people are so concerned with survival? I mean, how do you convince them that this is something important that they should be learning? Okay, there is another way to escape from the situation. And it was the it was only education. And I want to show the, the families that education is crucial for them to escape from their situation. Absolutely. So, you know, tech education obviously is is something that is going to be useful to people no matter where they go, right? It's not location specific. They can do it while they're at home. They don't need to be outside of their homes. They don't need to uh, necessarily defy their families and go out to work. Um, so I imagine it's it was an easy sell. Was it an easy sell or was it difficult to get them to to agree that this was something you wanted to teach on the curriculum there? It was really difficult. But in the beginning, when I examined all the girls, it was very interesting to see how, you know, when I teach them traditional education and then on the side technology, on the technology, they got really engaged and they really want to collaborate with others. That's really interesting. That's really, really interesting because obviously we see a lot of kids uh, lean back from STEM-related subjects and to hear that they actually were thrilled to be doing stuff with tech is really, really encouraging. And by STEM, we mean science, technology, engineering and maths. Yes, uh, it is just really interesting. When I talk about refugee camp, it's, you know, some situation is similar as it is when I was born and in the region where I'm coming from because girls are not valuable in the society. When they realize that they are valuable and do something else and create something else in the society, that's it. That's, that's, then they're that's, valued by that society for their economic contribution, right? There's no way that anyone can take that away from them. Exactly. How do you convince them to take on this education? I take a lot of time to go to talk to families, communities, especially members of the families. You know, uh, if you exclude them, you can't reach those girls and change the situation that 
for, for girls, really. So I'm talking to men role models in the societies. Um, and this, this is really helpful. They start really understand before they even didn't understand what I'm trying to achieve, really. <laughs> <laughs> so it took some time. It took one year to convince them that I am doing something really good for community girls that they are going to change the communities. So you've, the, you've got them on board. Can they see that there is an economic benefit to educating these young girls and that there is a problem here? Do they see that now? Yes, they do. And also it's really incredible when they see the girls' project, they are so amazed. They are so proud of their community girls and in the community. And they keep saying, talking and uh, each other in the family's members. They were like, oh, did you see the one of the neighbors? They She creates something cool projects. <laughs> so the families benefit too, right? Exactly. From from these girls and their creations. Uh, and I'm really proud of, uh, you know, girls who really participate before they came to our workshops they were detached from the technology and detached from those education path and now um, i'm really proud of of them that what they created uh, for example one of our participants she was awarded here in in the uk because she created a game from a dyslexic people made by one of the a girl coming to our workshops and before she came she didn't she even didn't know how to code mm. uh, and um, she her project founded by a, com- a company in Turkey and now uh, she's looking for an engineering degree um, another girl created a robot which can help classes in areas where there isn't only one teacher per to supervise the children how does that even work just one teacher running between classes exactly. is that seriously how how the, the world looks in some places because those people those girls they are they are examining what's around them and they they just start thinking about their the problems around them and that's how those project is coming up for example, another example, a young girl under state protection in the UK, she created a diabetics measurement device for her mother because she's, uh, her mother is diabetic. She is incredible introverted individual and yet can make this huge contribution to this world. It it's is incredible. a voice for them. If they hadn't gone through that education, what would their lives most likely been like? Well, mostly they... They got married at early age, really, because that's how, how early are we talking about? Fourteen years old, thirteen years old girls. They got married. They they forced to be married. Forced uh, to be married by their families. And Fourteen, yes, and, and and either they have to accept their destiny, or they have to fight for it. So there is no any other options for them to to escape. Suicide is a big issue for this community. I know from my own research that UN Women have picked up what you're doing and are trying to help you with that specific scenario. Yes, I'm really grateful. I'm uh, I'm feeling um, I'm really grateful for some companies who are supporting and some organizations like UN Women, because everyone has every organization has their own expertise, and I need them. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess following on from that, tell us a bit about the reach, the expanse of Coast Code now. Is it just in Turkey or have you expanded? Yes, uh, since I created Coast Code, it's, uh, it's getting really wider. Um, we, we start workshops uh, in, in the UK and Turkey and now we are expanding to Africa, 12 countries in Africa and also Pakistan. In October, we are going to Pakistan. Congratulations. Uh, thank you so much. And I'm really excited for that. 
I want other women like me to have access to such opportunities. And nothing has a bigger impact on a person's life than education. It, but women, especially those from ethnic backgrounds like my own, uh, face many obstacles in obtaining access to education. Uh, I thought I could play a part uh, in changing that and being a bridge between technology and those women. I absolutely adore you and what you're doing. We love <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So what Mujda sees is that immediate impact of teaching the younger generations to code and what that actually means for the exploration and development of new technologies. And beyond that, that emphasis on teaching coding skills today can have that big social and economic benefits for those who are being trained. Plus, it will help find emerging and diverse talent in a tech sector where we're struggling with a skills shortage. Now, our next guest is Eric Dow, a data scientist with the Turing Institute here in London. We wanted to have him here to help us explore the value of coding as a skill for future careers in tech, a topic that he is focused on in his work. So, Eric, welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, tell us more about what you're doing at the Turing Institute. Uh, so, the Turing Institute was founded in 2015 to transform data science and artificial intelligence in the UK. So, it's uh, an academic institution that's formed of partnership between 13 universities, as well as a number of industry sponsors and investors, essentially. Um, the Turing's technically a charity, but uh, our goal really is to transform practice in the United Kingdom of coding and application of data science to very broadly all the different fields uh, in society, healthcare, government, uh, defense and security, economics and finance, uh, science, humanities, really the, uh, the entire range of subjects that the Turing is interested in is, is pretty, uh, pretty much uh, unbounded. <laughs> So tell me a little bit more about how you transformed the UK. Is it through education? Uh, it's through a number of different things. So part of it is education. Our, one of our goals is to train the next generation of data scientists uh, in the UK. Uh, that is people with uh, an academic background that has done advanced research in various areas and then goes out into the world and applies their tools and their skills in any number of different fields. So uh, I'm going to bring up a bit of potentially controversial research. So Andreas Schleicher from the OECD said that coding would soon become an obsolete skill. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's a complicated uh, question because coding is such a broad and diverse field, uh, much like any other skill like basic maths. Um, if you're going to be a researcher, yes, you need a very extensive and highly developed skill set in that. But if you want to run a business, you need to know basic maths, uh, counting, and things like that. And so to say that coding will be obsolete is, I think, missing the breadth that coding brings to different subject areas. So, for instance, um, if you're doing advanced research and there isn't off-the-shelf software to do something you need to do, I need to write it myself. And so as long as there are complicated research questions, I don't see any reason why my coding skills would become obsolete. But at the same time, I think it's certainly going to change a number of different fields. For instance, if you are working with other people's code, certainly the need to know a lot of the gory details of 
what their code does uh, becomes less necessary as software becomes more intelligent. I hate to use that word because it's not actually, in my view, particularly intelligent. Um, we've set it up to solve the right particular problem. And part of the challenge there is not necessarily the coding skills that go into writing the software to do this, but understanding what it's doing and how you can apply it to your particular problem that no one has used it before in that context. So there has to be a lot of peripheral knowledge about what the code is doing, even if you aren't necessarily uh, writing it yourself. So I think that's really important also. It's not just in your area. I mean, we have very similar issues in industry with whether or not to buy off-the-shelf products. And there are a lot of cases where, you know, you have to pay a lot for the support of those systems. Things become uh, decommissioned over time and whatever else. So actually within our organization, we do write a lot of our own software. And as you say, you're not necessarily writing things from scratch, but what you are doing is having to interact with it at a level where you can fix bugs or add new functionality to it and know where you need to add it to. Eric, in terms of what you were saying, do you see that coders might become the factory workers of the future? Whereas, you know, back in the Industrial Revolution, where we were building cars or trains and people started setting up supply chain lines where where a factory worker would just work on that one narrow bit. Is that what you're seeing with coding skills or do you think it um, provides a wider breadth? Uh, I certainly do see a lot of specialization that people really do focus on one particular area of expertise. Um, I think a lot of times industry people are looking for people with very particular skill sets uh, to fill a niche within their organization. Um, But at the same time, if you're going to be a researcher like me, you have to have a a pretty wide understanding of things. Um, So our team at the Turing, so I'm actually not an academic, pure academic, uh, what I try and do is take research outputs and make them usable by people in the wider uh, community. That could be academic or industry-based, government-based, any number of different applications. Uh, And so that requires sort of a general knowledge of what people are doing and how to ensure that what they're doing is understandable and accessible uh, to other people. So at the same time that someone uh, you know, that might be very specialized within industry has a very particular focus and they only do that, um, you know, that sets them up if that area can become uh, replaced by some other piece of software or artificial intelligence algorithm. Um, you know, being flexible and adaptable uh, really does you know, give you more options and possibilities uh, going beyond that. Um, so I think there's there's certainly a drive towards specialization, certainly in academia, in my background. You, you have to sort of own one little area of research and absolutely be committed to that. And that was not really what drove me as a researcher. I wanted to take interesting ideas and apply them to completely different things from uh, what the original researcher had in mind. You know, that's how you transform and change scientific fields. Uh, You can change data science that way to really make new things accessible to other fields that hadn't even thought of that and and really supercharge how uh, researchers work in in that respect. When I think about what you do, which to me sounds like you're contextualizing very, very specific research, contextualizing it for the industry that is, you need to understand it at such a depth that you know where it would be applicable. So you're deep diving and you're coming back out at the macro level. And I don't see how you would ever be able to do that without a core technical footing. 
So, you know, it sounds to me like coding is not going to become obsolete. If anything, it's going to be essential for understanding from a integration perspective, even how to put it into the real world, how to make it work in the real world. Oh, absolutely. I would certainly agree with that. Um, you know, that's part of what we're trying to do um, at the Turing is give people those skills um, so that they can teach themselves what they need to know in order to make something work, be it I need to know this particular programming language, I need to know the basics of how this particular computational method works, I need to know the general scheme of how you employ data science rigorously and without, you know, making classic errors that, you know, that novice people often do. Um, you know, there's a lot to, to, to be learned there. And at the same time, as things become easier, you know, as it becomes easier, just download someone else's code and just run it on whatever data you have. You need to be aware of limitations. Oftentimes, these um, these methods have a lot of parameters that have to be set. You have to set some number to a very specific value for it to work. And what may have worked on one problem may not work on another. And you need to know the general methods that you need to apply in order to get those things to work in a different context. There's a school of thought that comes back to how with the advance that we're seeing in AI and machine learning and other things, we are starting to, especially in RPA, robotics process automation, we are starting to automate a lot of these menial tasks. As a result, a lot of people are starting to or have already lost their jobs or are going to more are going to lose them. And it, it used to be that a lot of the Western countries who were fully industrialized moved it first offshore. And now, now those jobs are starting to go. So we're starting to even remove the offshore um, uh, workers as well. So with that in mind, do you think it is an easy thing to take those who were previous, previously doing these um, these more simpler tasks to moving them towards doing things like coding. Um, certainly, that's what the techno optimists will say. Um, they think. And that, who are you? Uh, I, <laughs> I guess I'm a pragmatist. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's certainly going to be changes um, in the way that we work going forward. Um, one thing that's a major project right now at the Turing is. Uh, this project called Living with Machines. It's done in conjunction with the British Library. And what it's doing is it's applying the tools of digital humanities, that is, text processing, trying to figure out, given a bunch of words, what the subject matter is, and then going back in time and investigating the last time that there was a major wholesale change in how humans work, i.e. the Industrial Revolution. So we have newspaper clippings, we have people's ideas about how they felt as that transformation was going on. I'm sure there was a lot of pessimism or some optimism, but certainly people were changing how they work. They went from you know, being agrarian laborers to working in factories, and that involved a wholesale change of how Western society was organized. There certainly are going to be changes as manufacturing jobs become more automated, but the optimists will say, well, we'll just create more, you know, coding opportunities to program these computers to do more and more tasks. And, you know, the pessimists will say, well, it's a lot easier to just have one programmer deal with lots of different things. And so there will be fewer people working uh, in these areas. And so I, th I certainly think the 
you know, there's there's going to be some, as a pragmatist, I'd say there's going to be big changes in how people work, um, and we need to be proactive about giving them the types of skills that will be more favored um, going forward in the, the new economy. Thank you, Eric. That was really fascinating insight. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. So we've explored several issues today around tech education, all the way from Mujda's experience of how a tech education can lift girls out of poverty and an oppressive cultural circumstance, all the way to how coding is a necessary foundation to do things like computational thinking and growing a flexible mindset. Well, that's it for this podcast. If you want to see Borju and I live in person, then come join us at a conference that we're organizing in October in London called Future Fit, upskilling for the tech-powered future. To learn more about the topics we've discussed today and lots of other practical tools, insight and knowledge, just search NatWest Business Hub or head to natwestbusinesshub.com. Thank you for listening. 